This is RDQI. So Dave, I got a personal question for you. To you, is pesto better made in a mortar and pestle or in a food processor? <laughs> well, as it turns out, I just made pesto in a mortar and pestle last night. And we definitely didn't talk about this beforehand. So what a coincidence. <laughs> Who knew? So I have never made pesto in a mortar and pestle before. And yesterday I had just an abundance of basil that I needed to trim back. So I figured, okay, I'm going to make some pesto. I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way in order and pestle. And I got to tell you, un- unreal how good it was. Um, a-, a much more subtle flavor and yet pervasive, you know? It's like the basil was just, it didn't hit you, nothing hit you in the face, but it was just there in like the mm. perfect combination. It was, um, and, and I actually did some research into why this is because I, you know, was first sort of introduced to the mortar and pestle when I got really into Thai food and I, and I, um, was reading a book called Thai Food by David Thompson, and he makes it very clear that, you know, look, there is a certain way that you have to make a curry paste for Thai curry, and it just can't be done in a food processor. It has to be done this way, mm-hmm. um, but didn't really go into to why. Didn't really go into the science, but, you know, gave it a shot, and, oh, I mean, you've had you've had the, the oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's Thai curry that I've it's made. Wonderful. Like, it ruins American Thai food for you. Mm-hmm. Just a little you bit. You just can't ever have it. So I was watching a, a YouTube video yesterday, um, a J. Kenji Lopez alt video. I um, love him. A, yeah, he's, he's great. Chef, yeah, um, and he has a, he has a book called The Food Lab, I believe, um, which is fascinating. It was one of these books that like I sat down and and our, our friend Eric, who uh, who has who's been on this podcast a number of times, actually gave me that book, and I just read the first maybe you know, 120 pages just in one sitting because it, it goes into the science of cooking techniques and processes that just are so eye-opening. You know, it made me realize like all the, all the reasons, all the ways that I cook things, like I didn't really understand why I was doing them. And this book kind of breaks down, you know, why you do this. And then also some of the things that don't really make any sense, like searing meat does not seal in juices like that's right right yeah yeah, yeah. it provides some other benefits but it doesn't do that it doesn't seal anything no um so he had this really interesting he was talking about the science behind the mortar and pestle versus a food processor um and is this really interesting analogy where when you use a food processor you the blades sort of rip apart the material Mm -hmm. and they kind of like wreck the cells but they don't break the cells and so he took, you know, five sponges and he basically said, like, look, when you're using a food processor, you're kind of like knocking down the sponges, but you're not breaking the sponges. When you use a mortar and pestle, you the pounding motion actually breaks the cells down and releases so much more of those aromatic compounds within those cells. Mm, okay. All right. So they, <laughs> there's more to it than 
oh, you know, using a mortar and pestle is just a nice rustic way to do it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, okay, so it's not just being a snob. But he, he's also... <laughs> yeah, he's also very clear, though, that like with something like pesto or Thai curry, yes, you need that. With other things that like it doesn't really make a ton of difference. Um, guacamole being one of them, you can you know make mortar or make guacamole in a mortar and pestle versus just sort of chopping and throwing them in there. And it like, I mean, avocado doesn't really have all that much flavor compound in it. Right. Yeah. Not many essential so, oils to express. Yeah. But but the interesting part of this question, my getting getting a very roundabout way of getting there, um, which is actually kind of fitting because uh, using a mortar and pestle is sort of a roundabout. Oh way my of doing gosh! Things. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> I was, let's let's scrap that one. But it was halfway so through. Good. It, I was like, I don't know if I have the commitment. Oh, it was so good though. <laughs> I don't know. Oh man! All right, fine. Um. It it took a long time to make. Uh, you know, we started last night at probably 7.30, and we ate around 9.30. And now we were also, you know, just taking our time and just enjoying the, the you know, drinking wine and listening to music and, and stuff. But pesto in a mortar and pestle, like, it, it takes time. take you 10 minutes. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. Uh Pesto in a food processor would take you ten minutes. Yeah, at it's most. you know four, sure. four ingredients. It's cheese, pine nuts, basil, olive oil, garlic. Blitz done. There's your pesto. Cook some pasta. Throw it in there. You know how long? Bada would that boom, take? bada bing. Yep. <laughs> Whereas with the mortar, you know you're th- you're toasting the pine nuts. You're breaking them down. You're throwing the garlic in on top. You're then bruising the basil slowly as you're adding it in there. You're then kind of whisking in olive oil with cheese to make this emulsification. It takes time and it takes energy. You know, mortar and pestle is like a, my mine is I think like thirty some pounds. You know, you have this giant stone bat. You know that you're just right. kind of smashing over and over again. Oh yeah. I think a lot of people would say. That's not worth it to me. Absolutely. I mean, I would say even most of the time it's not worth it to me. Like I made pesto a week ago because, you know, it's July and everyone's basil is going nuts. But I was cooking for about 10 people and I had looked at the mortar and pesto and I was just like, no, there's no way I'm like, I have too much to do. I'm making, you know, like a bunch of other things besides just the pesto and pasta. So sure. Lo and behold, I used the food processor. If I was like trying to woo someone like on a date or something like that, yeah, I'll probably do the mortar and pestle. But when you just need a lot of pesto really quick, there's just nothing that can beat the food processor. But I will agree with you, the quality of pesto I think is better with the mortar and pestle. I didn't know like all the mechanical actions and that was actually making the difference, but it always just seems, I don't know, just more complete. Where is like the whereas the food processor is like, yeah, it shreds everything up and it mixes it together, but it's not like a smooth emulsification. It's more just like a, I don't know. When you automate the process, I think you lose some of that uh, that gossamer quality that pesto can have. But again, it takes so much time and energy to get there. That is it really worth it all the time? I agree with you, Dave. I don't think it is. You know, and there's also, I mean, there is a difference and, in, in, you know, a difference that you and I maybe are more concerned about. And and I'm not saying that, you know, you, you and I have necessarily 
like better palates or we're more sophisticated or refined or anything like that. No, I am. I just though, think we take sure. more. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I I think some of we we take more we just take more pleasure in the difference because we we enjoy it's a hobby of ours to discern taste and to discern a lot of things you know sound uh it it doesn't necessarily make our you know palettes more refined it's just this is sort of you know a hobby that both you and i right derive yeah. a lot of we have enthusiasm for it exactly I, yeah yeah but i think there'd be a lot of people who would taste side by side you know the the mortar and pestle and the um the blender or food processor version admit there is a difference but also say i i don't think that difference is worth the effort sure. of using a mortar and pestle mm-hmm. so i guess you know it's it's sort of this um it's sort of this right way kind of mentality you know there's a the mm. the right laborious way to do something versus the cheap and efficient way to do something um and I think that's just such an interesting thing to kind of talk about and explore because I don't know if there's a right answer, but I guess my question to you would be, how do you know when you should take the time to really go about a process and do it the, you know, probably more labor intensive way that will yield a better result versus when do you just want efficiency? And it doesn't just have to be with pesto. It could of be. Course, yeah, I figured you know. this. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> right. I mean, right. Mm-hmm. We could talk for 45 minutes about pesto, but. <laughs> sure. Well, that's, I mean, I think the pesto example is a pretty good apparatus, though, to use. Because um, kind of like I was saying, you know, if I think, if I'm trying to impress somebody and I'm putting on a show in terms of like dinner or something. Yeah, I'll probably make the mortar and pestle method and I'll probably make it a point to leave the sauce, the pesto in the mortar and pestle and, you know, mix it in front of this. Like I would make a show out of it, you know, because if you're going to go through oh, that yeah. much effort, oh, yeah. you you got to there's got to be some payoff. Right. <clears throat> but again, like the, ex- the other yeah, example, everyone impress somebody on a date. Right. Yeah. Whereas I'm just feeding, you know, 10 people in my family, extended family, some of them being like three year old kids. Sorry, kids. You're you're not getting the mortar and pestle method. Like, I love you. I love you to death. Well, you wouldn't know the difference though. So who cares? Well, what about what about just for yourself? You know, wife's out of town, uh, family's doing something else. Nobody's around. You're making you're just making yourself dinner. Do you go out of your way to use the mortar and pestle? Yeah, hundred percent. I think so. If I'm gonna make pesto for myself, <laughs> literally just for myself. It better be good, you know, so I'm going to, and, and I think actually this is a good point to bring up. I think part of it is for me would be just the enjoyment of the process of using a mortar and pestle. I do find it enjoyable. It is uh, time and energy consuming, but if I had like an evening off, like literally no other social obligations and I really wanted to make pesto, you better believe I'm going to savor that two hour process. It might be a pain, but I'm going to love every second of it. That's a good point. Yeah, you know, I wasn't really even thinking about it that way, but I mean, that is a good point. And you know, my my two hour dinner making yesterday, um, 
you know, it was as much for the enjoyment of, you know, listening to music and, and prepping this very long meal and, you know, just, just enjoying my time. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really good point too, because we, we, we really live in a world now where we, we really monitor the effort that we put into things and we really try to expend the the least effort for the most reward because we only have you know finite number of effort to to spend right um you know that's a real roundabout way of describing what productivity is (laughs) (laughs) yes so if you can still produce a somewhat decent pesto with a food processor is it objectively mathematically however you however you calculate it is it worth the effort for the marginal gain in flavor i think probably if you're going to be a calculator about it the answer would be no but the, the you bring up a great point with the process because it's the process the process can be so enjoyable and i will spend effort on things that yield very little in terms of output sure but it's not for the output so much it's the process i mean we kind of we've talked about this tangentially I mean, you brought it up with, um, we were talking about investing, I believe, but more like you you have to, at some level in your investment plan, you have to quantify in the dollar value, like enjoyment, you know, and other non-tangible aspects of life. So there's no way you can pull out a calculator and calculate what, whether or not you should make the mortar and pestle versus the food processor. That's being such an anorak that it almost hurts me to think about. Um, <laughs> because, like, what are you going to do? Calculate some computation and, like, give yourself an enjoyment coefficient and be like, well, with the enjoyment coefficient, we are going to break, you know, the, it looks like the mortar and pestle is going to, you know, squeeze it out by two-tenths of a point here, so let's do mortar and pestle. I mean, there might be someone who lives their life that way, and if they do, more power to them. That sounds kind of miserable to me personally, on a personal note. I don't think you can objectively yeah. notate this. That would that'd be a, way, a weird way to use your mind, I think. You know, I bring this up um, because I think I think if I look at at you know my life and you know the kind of things I enjoy now versus the things that I enjoyed maybe ten years ago or twenty years ago as a as a kid, um, I think. I have gotten a little more efficient in that I don't I've kind of eliminated some of the the more effort intensive things in my life sort of subconsciously. Sure. Um mm-hmm. you know, I'm always going to make pesto with the border and pestle that's worth it to me, but I've all but you know, there's been there's some things that I've eliminated. Um you know, and think back to when we were kids. I mean, think about some of the effort we put into to like nothing and how much effort went into it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we've referenced this before, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, childhood cup. <laughs> well, you know, in, in high school, we, we used to do this thing called the 24 hour circle. Yep. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, the 24 hour circle was, we would get a, a, you know, four couches. We'd put them in a circle in my backyard and we would, uh, not leave that circle for 24 hours. Yep, that, that I, was it. That's it's as as weird as it sounds. 
there was no real, you know, objective there. Um, and there was a ton of effort, not only getting everything set up, but just like clearing your calendar for 24 hours. Cause that's all you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And we had so much fun, you know, sitting there and, and, you know, having conversations and just getting, you know, to a level of depth and conversation that you only get when you're just like forced to just have a conversation for 24 right, hours. Yep. Um, read entire books out loud. That was but, pretty fun. <laughs> yep. The entire book. Uh, I we haven't done that since. I as much as I would love to, I don't think I'll ever do that again. No way. It's too much yeah. effort. I don't have enough time for that anymore. But there's something kind of sad about that because there were, you know, that I have such fond memories of the of the 24-hour circle. Sure. Sure. But if you had 24 hours with that same group of people that was like there, you'd I'm guessing you just reorganize that time in a different fashion. Be like, hey, come over to my house for the weekend. You know, it'd be something more like that, not like, hey, let's sit in a circle for 24 hours. Right? Like, you're not going to be making pesto in that 24-hour circle. Although you you could, because pesto is a unique sauce that you don't need to cook. But it would be a little bit useless without mm-hmm. cooked pasta. But a 24-hour circle maybe is an extreme example. Sure. But even, you know, spending think about think about the the bonds that you formed with people, the bonds that you and I formed together just by by hanging out for long periods of time because we had the time to do mm-hmm. it. You know, when's the last time you spent, you know, a whole weekend with somebody? And I mean I mean the whole weekend. Right. It's they're fewer and farther between and yet there's I think they are, you know, the best ways to really form deep bonds with people. Yeah, and it, so it's not the most efficient way to spend your time necessarily, but that also really, as we're saying, that really depends on what you think is worthwhile. But it worries me because I, I, well, I have to, I have to force myself to to do these things now because my my gut reaction to hey go spend a weekend with somebody is I don't have time for that you know how many things I have to do this weekend no 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 I can see you for an hour for coffee and that's sort of my default process now but it's that's not you know that's, that's to me it is a very busy productive and yet superficial life that I would lead if I didn't force myself to slow down and do things that don't really make sense in terms of productivity and numbers, but just add to the quality and the enjoyment of my life so much more. Yeah, I think everyone, well, I'm sure everyone has their own way of dealing with that, um, that stress of life, you know, because being productive, I would say in our modern society is a stress inducing activity. I mean, I think it's no matter, even if you're a yoga teacher, I'm sure you have a pretty stressful life at some level, you know, so at least in your work life. So you do bring up a really good point. Like what a maybe that's uh, kind of the theme of what pesto's about is is it's our way at least you and I Dave saying life is worth enjoying or to quote Ferris Bueller, you know, you got to stop every once in a while and smell the roses, right? So intentionally doing something that is intentionally inefficient <laughs> just to enjoy the fact that you're doing it. I that makes a lot of sense. I can see a lot of people looking at like cyclists or runners or anyone who does any level of endurance training and being like, that is a waste of time and energy. Like, why are you doing that to yourself? But you talk to that runner and their cyclist and they're like, this is my thing. This is just what I do. So I think everyone's going to have their own little outlet. 
but finding that outlet is going to be probably pretty helpful towards having, um, I don't know, a richer life. Maybe I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it, though. I think so. I, I think that that's the 24 hour circle. I think a lot of people, you know, listening to this would hear that and think like that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yep, I'm sure. But, but, but you know. Part of that, part of the whole idea behind the 24-hour circle was almost a rebellion against structuring your life because it's sort of the opposite of productivity. <laughs> sure. Um, and the gains that you get from these kind of long processes are kind of hard to define. You know, they, they or, or they're, it adds to the quality or richness or fullness of your life in ways that you didn't necessarily expect. Mm -hmm. And certainly couldn't but measure. You wouldn't, right. But you would never experience them if you didn't just do things and ignore the, the, you know, productive voice in your head that says, no, don't spend all Sunday on the golf course or, you know, don't go on that fishing trip and just sit in a boat all day long and catch no fish. Mm-hmm. Maybe one or two. <laughs> Unless it's you and me going ice fishing with some other good friends. And then we'll catch absolutely <laughs> nothing. Uh, now that was, I uh, fishing is not for me. No. Not, I can't, it's just so boring. Yeah. No, I understand why people drink so much while they do it. That's for sure. But that's, di that, we're, we're, <laughs> we digress, Dave. But I mean, actually, that's a pretty good point. Like, I don't think you or I enjoyed ice fishing when we went with uh, all of our buddies. Like we didn't enjoy the ice fishing no. part. We enjoyed everything that happened around ice fishing. And we're all together in the frozen tundra of northern Minnesota. And it was in a way it was kind of like a 24-hour circle. You know, we're there for what, two nights. We were in essentially a what were we in? <laughs> it was like uh it was a, it was a trailer. It was like a shipping container almost. Trailer, yeah. With some, yeah, with some, yeah, it wasn't even a trailers of it. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice word. Yeah, it was some like two by four yeah. bedposts, you know, bunk bed style in there, and just just a bunch of dudes <laughs> hanging out in a small room, and it was so it was a lot of fun. Now, we didn't actually accomplish any of our goals in terms of ice fishing, but it wasn't necessary, you know, for the enjoyment. I would say, I think a lot of people. I, I, you know, now that now that you mentioned this, there is a human need for that kind of do nothing relaxation, but it's almost like we invent these activities to justify spending the time, because I had a blast up there in Minnesota. We were there for ice fishing, but but you know we could have gone up there without any kind of fishing equipment whatsoever. That was so you know, irrelevant compared to what, you know, the, the fun and the enjoyment that we had in that weekend. Right. Why? What, and that's what the 24 hour circle is. It's like, why do you, why do we need to, uh, a pretext to, to hang out and do something? Why can't we just do it without having to try and justify it? Well, I think that's, I think that's part of what makes play play is doing work that isn't directly work related if that makes any sense. Like, let me, no, that's a terrible way to put it, but let me try and put it differently. The first thing you do when you play a game with some, some of your friends, almost invariably, is make up rules. Like, it's the first thing you do, all right? Because you can't play a game without rules or else everyone's playing a different game. 
Which is funny because usually when you're playing, the idea is to have no rules, to have no limitations. And yet the first thing we usually do is put ourselves into limitations and into rule sets. Because kind of like we said, Dave, creativity is inspired by restrictions in a, in a large part. So I think it's natural for humans to play and in, in, in playing will set up rules that kind of imitate real, let's say real life, normal life, whatever that is exactly. But it's an imitation and because of that we can go about and enjoy what we're doing in a different way. Like We don't need a productive outcome for play to be successful. We just need to have fun or we just need to be playful for play to be successful. And I think that mindset switch uh, is pretty key, which is also why I think you know, when it comes to, if we're going to go towards like the business productivity end, because so much of our culture is focused on being more productive. I mean, I think I would say half of the whole mindfulness movement is really just masquerading as I'm trying to be a better, like more effective worker, basically make more money. I'm pretty sure in my mind, that's what's kind of going on there. So a part of it. I think so. Right. It's kind of this I, I think P- part of it. I think there's some mindfulness practitioners. I mean, you know, ask our ask our friend Garrett and the, the Zenodyne crew. I mean, they're not, they're not looking to, you know, squeeze another hour out of the day, but I also, you know, the mindfulness movement has been co-opted by Silicon Valley to do exactly. Right. But, but I I don't, I just, I don't think it's fair to completely (laughs) throw it under the bus. (laughs) Yeah. Way to go, Ryan. Just throw mindfulness under the bus. Jeez. Um, (laughs) yeah, that's a real popular move. Um, but I think I guess what I'm trying to say is that's the essence of play. Is that um, we? I think humans enjoy work. I think we enjoy doing things. Now I think some of the arduousness and the you know difficult nature of work is challenging, and all of us don't always enjoy that. Which is why play is so enjoyable because it is work, but with no serious end, except that it's entirely serious because it's about enjoying your life. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, no, I, I'm I'm smiling really wide because I I hadn't even thought about this before. But I mean, you are you're absolutely right in connecting it to that you know the the creativity in a box uh, idea that you and I have tossed around a number of times. Um, you know, we are we're very paradoxical creatures in that we do need limitations and uh, boundaries to to kind of fulfill the best of our potential Mm -hmm. you know we we've talked in the music podcast about how creativity is at its best when it's put in a box and forces you to work within some sort of some sort of you know boundary you know if you if you tell if you are uh designing a logo um for a company you know, one of our friends is a graphic designer and you say, Hey, I need a logo for my company. Do whatever you think. Mm-hmm. It's the most frustrating thing in the yep. world because you, where do you take that? You know, you know how many possibilities there are for logos, <laughs> right? But if, you know, you give a little bit of a definition and kind of define the company and the mission and the feel that you're trying to go for, it restricts creativity and freedom because now there are things you can't do, but in doing so, it focuses your creativity rather than spreads it out to, you know, anything you want. Right. And in the same way with play, and I never thought, I've never made this connection before, but, you know, would we have been able to, <laughs> hey, we're going to get the same 10 guys together and just sort of whatever, but we're going to spend the whole weekend together. 
well, okay, <laughs> that's seems sort of weird. But if you do sort of restrict the the boundary and say hey, we're going to go ice fishing, it doesn't necessarily have to be about the ice fishing part of it. It's still really just to get together, but it just helps sort of focus the energy a little bit, which is so strange. You know, it's. <laughs> But I, but I guess it's also I don't know just one of the things that makes humans humans and yeah I don't know I don't know why you think it's so strange per se I think I think you're right the humans are paradoxical you know well because you're you're kind of lying to yourself you know none of us wanted to go ice fishing but we had to have that as a as a context to get up there like why do we need the reason you know it's it's almost like you're gonna meet somebody you, you want to talk to somebody for an hour you almost always use the context of going for a cup of coffee or a drink or, you know, and Matt Damon's character in uh, that movie yep. about... That one movie he's in. With Robin Williams. Why can't I think oh, of it? Oh, Good, Good Will, Will Hunting. Hunting yeah. You know, brings up the, the arbitrariness of going for coffee. Like, why don't we go for chocolates? But he's <laughs> he's got a zeroing in on just why do we need the the pretext of going to drink coffee together to just talk, to just sit down and talk. You don't need to do that at a coffee shop. Oh, you totally do. You're totally wrong. Because every every <laughs> step of the coffee shop process is a ritual that helps people communicate with each other. Right? So you're meeting at a predetermined destination. That's important. You both know where you're supposed to be. That's a pretty good start to any social interaction. Then you're probably meeting at the same time. And then you are sharing in a convivial beverage, which stimulates you mentally, which will probably stimulate conversation as well. That's totally different than meeting at a park bench with a cup of, with a cup of coffee. It, those are two different experiences, even though you're consuming the same drug, essentially, at the end of the day. I, I totally disagree. I think humans need excuses to do things at the end of the day. And if the excuse to talk to someone is to say, oh, let's get coffee, then fine. You know, I, and I understand that there's plenty of people who are just like, you could just call me too, or like we could just go on a walk. That would be fun as well. Um, but you know, I so I hear where you're coming from, but I think humans need excuses to do things. I think that's half the reason that anyone goes out to dinner ever is just to have an excuse not to cook and to be with other people. And I guess it's not really all that important to know why, but I still think why. Sure. You know, if I if I'm meeting somebody that I don't really know very well, but I don't know, there's some, some reason where, why we need to meet. It would be extremely weird to say, Hey, let's meet at this park bench and sit down and have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. It would be the most natural thing in the world to say, let's go to a coffee shop and have this conversation. Right. It, you know, yes, there's some ritualistic differences, but, but I don't think that's really the the point. The point is somehow we need this excuse to go do something. And we, I don't know, there's just something that's always just, it's, it's just been strange to me that we have to, we can't just say what it is we actually want to do with somebody. Well, Dave, I think it brings us to, but I guess it doesn't really, well, matter. that brings us to the point is, does anyone know what they really want? Oh, 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 oh,